Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. I was in Recife, Brazil, and we were with uh, my good friend. He has, he's a very unique guy. We were, we were doing this thing called Street Church, and he's, he's leading worship and worshiping and sitting on the floor with people. Some kids are walking around sniffing glue. There's murders in this park all the time. A lot of homeless people. It's very dangerous. There's, you know, and uh, so we're just there worshiping. And this guy is a very, very interesting cat. He doesn't have any fear. He's just very full of love. And so we're just there, and he has this rescue home. And this is what I want to talk to you about. We're um, resting on our beach day, chilling. And, of course, he gets a, a troubling phone call on our rest day, because that's how that works. And so one of the girls that they had received was absolutely freaking out, like threatening to kill one of the other young girls. We're talking about like 12 years old. And so this was a really disruptive uh, situation, very difficult. And um, because they're working with a government agency, they have to honor the wishes of, of this young child. So this young girl says, I, I want to be out of here. I'm done here. I don't want, I don't want to stay here. And this is what I want to really share with you really, really briefly and, and with this, with, in as, as gracious of a way as I can say this, that was really a bad move. You have a girl with special needs who has endured horrible things that no human, let alone a child, should have to ever endure. And based on a very, very temporary disturbance that at the root of it was actually her fault, she wanted to leave. And she's 12. And due to the fact that they're working with government agencies, they have to honor her wishes. So they call, they say, okay, come get her, and, and, you know, and she left. And what was very, very troubling about this, it really broke my friend Nick's heart because he understands the reality of what leaving there means. And I saw this all as really a parable for, for all of us in the sense of that God ordains a place. God ordains a people. God ordains a time in which people have a divine opportunity to get well. And what they do is they hit eject and they curse their own future and at the end of the day, unfortunately, that young girl is still stuck with herself in her pain, which was the root of the chaos that ensued that day. And she pressed eject. And he has to honor her wishes. But what's so heartbreaking is she's going to go from a really good situation. In fact, I don't think you get a better situation than Nick and Rachel. They're the most loving, solid, patient, pure-hearted people that you find, and so now she's gonna go from there back to a government shelter. What's common in a government shelter is there's older boys there. Because it's a government shelter, there's boys and girls together. Girls get assigned to a boy. Girls get passed around. Girls get abused. You know how it works in the world. Women always get it worse than men. And it's a very, very heartbreaking situation 
And I want to say to you, wherever you find yourself in this life, you could be hurting right now, you could be in a situation, do not press eject on what God is trying to do in your life. God wants to heal you. God wants to bring peace to you. God wants to do a work in your life. Don't press eject because here's the thing. If you press eject or I press eject, guess who we're stuck with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I, this is my parable to all of us today to really consider. Now, today I'm going to be talking about healing. For the next few weeks, we're going to begin a series on healing. It really, God really began to impress upon my heart the need to get healed on the inside. I'm not simply just talking about, you know, your body and all that. That's all good. And we believe in supernatural healing. And I think that that is really important. And I'm all for that. And we see that and we believe that. But I'm talking about the deep inward soul. Um, the way you would define the soul is the mind, your thoughts, what you think about, your will, what you decide on. In your emotions, how you feel about what you thought about and decided on. So these three things, this is an area in which the Holy Spirit wants to come in and heal and sanctify through confession, which is what we did wrong, through uh, a repentance, you know, acknowledging what we did wrong, through also forgiving people who've wronged us. So it's, it's like admitting our part confessing our part, being honest. And here's the issue with healing. Healing takes humility. And that's very contrary to the world that we live in because what happens with pain, this is what we do with pain. When we have pain in our life, just the same way if, if, you, if you look at my hands, I have calluses on my hands. So when you, when you lift weights or you work hard with your hands, your hands develop calluses to cover the skin that has been banged up. So many times in our life, what pride is, is, is really this callus. It's not real. And if you, if you know how calluses work, because if you ever have any, you can just pick it right off. It's, it's, not, it's not like, it's just, it's, it, yeah, it just comes off. So, it, so many times there, there's, there's people, and what is covering the pain is pride. And it's kind of like a coping mechanism where we lie to ourselves, press overdrive, pretend we're okay, but really we're not okay, we haven't been okay. And so the, the, the choice comes to, are you going to acknowledge you're not okay and allow the Lord to work in your life, or are you going to continue to pretend and just hit override and just keep moving forward? And the, what's dangerous about that is we become delusional when we learn how to lie to ourselves. And... In Christianity, it's easy to lie to yourself in the name of faith. Oh, I'm okay. Oh, well, I'm actually not okay. <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, everything's good. No, actually, it's really not good. And everyone around you knows it's not good. So when will you acknowledge that it's not good? So that you can allow the Lord's goodness to come in and to bring healing. So I want to really spend some time uh, on the next few weeks talking about the restoration of soul. What does that mean? Well, the Hebrew talks about it. The, 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 the way you see the word in Hebrew is a very interesting word, but it is like return. Return. 
So, so the mind, the will, and the emotions returning back to the Creator. Back to Jesus, back to God, and back to the way God created you to be so that you can be healthy, so that you can be well, so that you can be a blessing to other people. You heard what Joseph said last week. He said that without the fear of the Lord, we cannot sustain the blessing of the Lord. So God may want to do something in my life, but until I get healthy, I don't have the power to retain or to steward or to multiply that thing because inside I'm broken. And maybe it was not something you did. Maybe it was something someone did to you. Or maybe it was for all of us, maybe it was something that we did do. And we need to acknowledge that we did it. You know, depending some wounds are self-inflicted, others are inflicted by family, others are inflicted, uh, you know, inflicted by would-be friends, enemies, whatever it is. But it's ultimately your choice how you're going to respond to what has happened. Because you cannot change what has happened. I cannot change what happened to you. I cannot change what didn't happen for you. You cannot change what happened for me or didn't happen. But we're all right here. And the one thing that I want to just remind all of you about, and this is something that is good, and it helps people relate to people who are in a different phase of their life. There's some people that really don't know how to relate to people who are above them in life, you know, in circumstances, or people that are even below them in the sense of they're really struggling trying to get a hold of, or maybe peers. Many times people really struggle with knowing how to effectively relate to people. And one of the ways that the Lord taught me how to relate to people is that we all have this one thing in common, besides we have an expiration date and we're all going to die. We all have something in our life. We all have a need in our life that we in our own strength and our own power are unable to fulfill. (laughs) And here's the good news. John Maxwell said that every miracle starts with a problem. (laughs) So let me just reframe. Let's let's reframe our problems as God's opportunity. Okay? (laughs) We do. We do. And you start walking with Jesus and you keep doing walking with Jesus. You know the reward of walking with Jesus is more of that. Some of the most faithful people that I that I'm friends with, uh, Reginald uh, Joseph knows him well. Erica met him; she knows him. Brett is going to meet him. Uh, Isaac met, is going to meet him soon. DK knows him. One of the most faithful men I know, Bishop Reginald Celestine out of Haiti, he deals with. He has two phones dealing with problems. So if, you, if you're going to be faithful, you get out of your own problems. God fixes that. And then God uses you to help people with their issues. That's the reward of faithfulness. What's the reward of faithfulness? Other people's mess. I can't wait, you know. <laughs> so anyway, God is good. Now, this is a breakdown of the Psalms. So this diagram here, this is, this is 150 Psalms. You want to see something really troubling? I'm going to trouble you and then I'm going to encourage you. The most Psalms, 59 of them, are lament, complaining. (laughs) 41, praise. Praise is not worship. Praise is the declaration of who God is and what God has done. That's different. Generally speaking, the faster songs, that's praise. 
<laughs> um, then after that, let me, let me, we got hymns. What are hymns? Hymns are sing-alongs. <laughs> Those are the songs that are easy to sing, that everyone is singing, and, and the other songs we're looking like, what's next? And they're looking at the screen, and uh, it's interesting how we remember Biggie Smalls, but we're not sure of the next chorus. So then we got royal, kingdom. Ten of these are about kingdom. Brad, I got this just for you. This is mostly for you. And me, actually. Wisdom. Nine of them are wisdom. Okay? Eight are thanksgiving. Wow. Only six psalms. Six are psalms of trust. Six. Now, let me give you something encouraging. The trust is what produces the testimony. Faith plus obedience equals testimony. Listen, you can complain until you turn blue in the face. That's okay. I've done it. I've been there. I understand. But you know what? Until you learn to trust the Lord, there's no testimony. Faith is trust in the integrity of God. I, I, I trust and I put my confidence not in my own ability, but in God. That's different. So the world is like, you're enough, you're this, you're that. No, no, no. We're not. Jesus is. So we're going to have to learn to really trust the Lord if there's going to be a strong and authentic testimony in our life. Now, I didn't even realize this when I planned this, but today actually is the 23rd of what? April. Guess what we're going we're gonna to go into? We're going to go into the 23rd Psalm. But I want to share a few things with you that lead up to the 23rd Psalm. Now, David, who remembers when Samuel came to Jesse's house? Anyone remember? This is a time where you can answer me now. Okay, good. So where was David when the prophet came? With the sheep in the field. So a prophet comes to town to like anoint the next king. And David's own father can't see him. Want to talk about a daddy issue? Imagine your own dad does not invite you to a feast when the prophet is in town. That was a child created in adultery. I don't know if you know that, but conceived in iniquity, that's what the scripture says. And so the prophet is looking, I got tall, dark, handsome, all these guys, all these, but that's not him. And then the scripture says that God looks on the heart. God doesn't see as man sees. None of these guys are it. You got any more sons? So they bring David in. Prophet Samuel anoints him, spills oil on him. He's the next king. Boom. When he was anointed king, what was he doing? He was being faithful, caring for the sheep of his father, when it seems as if his own father didn't even care about him. So maybe you're standing here and you have a deficit 
in your life where you had a dad who never cared about you or you had someone who can't see you or you have someone that doesn't believe in you or you don't believe in yourself. But God has a plan for people who are overlooked if, if they respond to him. If. Say if. Now, his brothers are out to battle. Israel is fighting the Philistines in the valley of Elah, E-L-A-H, which is the valley, it's like an oak, it means oak, like the valley of an oak tree. So he's in, they're in the valley, and the valley is not really the best place to fight a battle, <laughs> because you have aerial command, in other words, let's say you're in the valley, and I'm up on the hill, it's easier to fire down, and it's easier to take cover, and it's harder to fire up. So a valley is a place of vulnerability. Yeah, it's, it's not a good place to be in. I don't recommend that. But this is where the battle was. And you can only, can I say this in your life? You can only fight where the battle is. You can't fight where you wish the battle was. You, you don't start from where you wish you were, where you think you are, where you'd hope to be. You, you start where the, the stone cold reality of where you are, which is very painful, but that's where the battle begins, where you are. So David goes to bring his brothers cheese and bread, and his father gives gifts to the leaders of thousands. So they, the army guys, you know, the goo in charge, they get gifts uh, from Jesse. And so he goes. And David encounters a giant, and the giant is really talking crazy about God's people, calling them out, you know, saying basically they're done. And now David is burning with zeal, like, yo, how, like, what's the deal? Like, nobody, nobody's going to challenge this guy? Like, nobody's going to fight this guy? You guys are all afraid of, like, this guy? Like, and, and, and they're like, like, his brothers don't believe in him. His fathers couldn't see him. His brothers don't believe in him. And his brothers actually speak against him and presume that he's proud just because he has faith. See, insecure people think pride is arrogance. I mean, insecure people think faith is arrogance. I'll say that again. Insecure people see faith as arrogance. But David was not preoccupied with his ability. David was not going to go into that battle trusting in David. Then Saul speaks against him. Saul says straight up, you are not able. That's amazing. Thanks for the encouragement. This is the encouragement that I get from the spiritual leader. Uh, he tells me I, I can't do it. I'm not able. And then all Saul offers is a covering. That's another message. I'll leave that alone. He offers armor. But that armor was untested, and you can't take untested things or untested people to battle. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> so anyway, that's, another, that, that's a whole other message, too. We're going to leave that alone. This is a nice message today, encouraging message. So now, this is really something. So David is like, no, 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 this is not. David is about to become tax exempt. David is like, yo, what's in it for me? 
and that's, that's a real question. Some of you are so spiritual, maybe you don't ask that, and you're amazing. But for the rest of us who are human, we're like, what's, what's in it for me? Like, David is like, like, like if I kill this guy, what is, it, what is it that I get? Like, And they're like, well, you get the king's you know, daughter, that's a win. Uh, you're rich now. And oh, and on top of that, you're tax exempt. Like, you don't have to pay taxes. I got a 501c3 and a wife. So he's like, this is a good thing. All we need is a website. So anyway, he's like, okay, this, this seems to be a good thing. But he was not motivated by what he could get. He was motivated by the zeal of the Lord and for the name of the Lord. This is really important. Your motives really do matter. God understands that you're human, but the heaviest motives of your heart do matter. I want to just say that to all of us. So now David is getting ready to go out to battle to fight Goliath. I'm not going to preach about this, but I want to tell you what he takes with him. David takes with him a sling, which is like what we would think of as a slingshot. It's not a slingshot like that. It's more like a slingshot like this. It's different. But So he takes a sling, and he takes five smooth stones. Five smooth stones. Five is the number of grace. But they can't be any stones. They have to be smooth stones. Because a smooth stone is a stone that has been shaped in the river by the waters. So, if, if you know, most of us when we were kids, have you ever skipped rocks when you were a kid? You know the difference between a good rock that will really pop, 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 and one that will not. Are you with me? So he needs smooth stones so that there can be accuracy. Whew, bang. He also takes with him a very odd instrument to take to battle, a shepherd's rod. You've got to hold that in your mind. Now, you know the story. Goliath is talking crazy. David is like, I'm not coming to you in my own name. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. So just remember that. I'm not, it's not about me. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. And David charges at him with the sling and hits him with a stone. But David said... I'm going to kill this Philistine. He tells him he's going to kill him. And then he says, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to chop, you know, I'm going to chop your head off. The birds of the air are going to eat you. And everyone was speaking against David. His father, his brothers, and Saul. But David was not speaking against David. You can have the fruit of your lips. You have got to learn to get your lips in alignment with what God wants. Amen. You have to get to, I mean, you really, if you, if you want to continue to speak death, you're going to have death. So, uh, you know, I, I just want to encourage you with that because I want, I want to see you do well. I would rather see... That you're doing amazing, then look at you and feel like, man, you know, you're looking really, you know, like you're having a rough time. And I don't want to see that. I want to see you do well. I, care, I really actually care about you. I want to see you do well. And it's easier for me if you're doing well, if I can be honest too. <laughs> if we're being honest. It's like. So anyway. So this is, this is something to consider that I want, I want to tell you about the shepherd's rod in a minute. 
But he goes to battle, and the stone is only the thing that dropped Goliath. The stone didn't kill Goliath. Read the narrative. Goliath died by his own sword. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Goliath died by his own sword. And if you follow the biblical narrative, the biblical narrative is that after David chopped his head off with his own sword, David dragged his head himself to a place called Golgotha. It is a place of the skull. That place was renamed because of David's victory in a valley. Sometimes you have to cut the head off of the thing that is speaking against you. And I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about spiritually. You have to sever your connection and your affection with death. Some people are attracted to dysfunction and things that will only hurt them. Ask the Lord to deliver you from evil, from the desire to be drawn away inwardly by things that are destructive for you. That's the whole part of the Lord's prayer. Deliver me from evil. Do not allow me to be drawn away inwardly by things that are destructive for me. That doesn't presume that I can do it in my own strength. That humbles you and says, God, I need your help. I need you because we live from desire. I need you to transform and to heal and to sanctify my desires because some of us still desire things that have nothing for you. How do I know? I've been there. That's how I know. So now, let's jump over to Psalm 23 and let's hear this psalm out. This is David. This is David speaking, but David is not speaking, he's singing. And if you listen real carefully, David is singing to himself. The songs that we sing shape the culture that we live in. You go into a violent neighborhood that's dangerous, that demeans women, where there's drugs everywhere, a predominant amount of the people in that neighborhood sing specific words and give those words permission to shape the culture. How do I know I was heavily involved in that culture? I know exactly what I'm talking about. So the songs that we sing shape the culture that we live in. The words that we speak shape the culture that we live in. Okay? Watch David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Okay? The Lord is leading me, and he is not leading me to a place of lack. Can I say something to you? Can I just be honest? Why in the world would I follow someone Use your brain. That is going to lead me to a place of lack. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So the Lord is leading me. So some people have an orphan spirit. What does that mean? It means that they are afraid of lack. Maybe you grew up in lack. Maybe you experienced lack. But God is not leading you 
to a place of lack, let him lead you. Is that okay? I like that. That sounds good to me. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like, all right. He makes me, now I want to say something to you. Some of you do not have a he makes me theology. Some of you have, you are the ruler of the roost. And it is all about you and what you want. And you are in charge and you are in control and you determine your destiny. And, you know, we're going to manifest it and we're going to will it and we're going to, we're going to do it and we're going to make it happen and we're going to hustle, grind, hustle, grind. All right. But I'm going to show you something that this is good. I hope that you get this experience. It's a, great, a beautiful experience. One day I hope a little kid attacks you. Like one of your kids. And, and they come at you. My little guy, I did this my little guy. He comes at me full force. He'll pick something up, swing at me. And so I'll, I will be playing with him. And I will, I will bear down on him lightly, not to hurt him. But I'll put my hand on his head and then onto his chest. And then I'll hold him on the couch. And he'll be kicking, going crazy, swinging his head. He'll headbutt you. He's, he's unchained. Someone, let me just tell you one thing. We, me and the Dinky were talking about this yesterday. Someone that will lead with their head is crazy. So, so I, will, I, will, I will make him lie down and chill because I'm messing with him. Sometimes your father in heaven, who's a good God, will make you lie down. He will put his hand on you, not to hurt you, not to harm you, not to control you, but to make you lie down. To say, my son, hey, chill out. The human manifestation of this, if you do not rest your body, your body will make you rest it. Your body will say, well, we're not coming today. And, and Couch time. I was telling you, I was tired, you weren't listening to me, and now I'm on strike. My body, the body's on strike, in two days it shuts down, and you, you make up the rest that you robbed yourself of because you're anxious, or because you have a Messiah complex, or because you got to hustle, grind, hustle, grind, or because your other spouse doesn't do what they're supposed to do, so you got to do extra, whatever the dysfunction you have in your house, and, and then you recover, and then you can move forward. He makes you, we don't even have a theology of he makes you in America. He is in charge. He is the one who's leading. We are following him. You understand that? We are I hope we're following him. He makes me to lie down where? In green pastures, that's to eat. And in still waters, that's the drink. Now, this is a fascinating song because the song is a metaphor that goes back and forth to David being a sheep, being a shepherd, and being a human. <laughs> this is like, and you know the illest songs have metaphors. You know that. And anyway, so that's another whole thing. So now, he makes me to lie down. Now, so... He is not leading you to lack, and he is not burning you out. 
And He is not leading you to burn yourself out. God will fully fund your rest. If God will pay for His work, He has to pay for my rest. I say that, people don't believe me. I'm crazy enough to believe. I believe God. I just want to let you know that. So, He restores my soul. Can I say something to you? There is no restoration without rest. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) There is no restoration without rest. There's a a guy, uh, his name is Eddie Hall. He was the, the strongest man in the world in 2017. He was the first human to pull 500 kilograms off the floor. That's 1,102 pounds. What? Yeah, in competition. They say, man, like, how did you do it? You know, what, you know one of the things that he talked about? All of the things that he did to recover. He talked about his recovery, not his training. Fascinating. Fascinating. You have to learn to recover. You have to learn how to recover or you won't recover. And I want to see you recover. You, you have to learn how to allow the Lord to pace you. The three places that God takes him first is not to a place of lack, but he leads him to eat, to drink, and to be restored. Because before God requires anything of you, he has to do something in you. It has to start in you and it has to be real. We want to do, 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 do. God said, I'm not interested in that. I, I love all that, but I want you to get well, my son. I want you to get well, my daughter. My priority is not what you can do for me. It's you. Come on. One of the things I learned is that I don't put pressure on people. Here's why. If I put pressure on you, I have to keep pressure on you. And then I become a grown babysitter. But... If you have a a desire within you to do something, where there's desire, there's discipline. You never have to talk yourself out of what you love. Right? You got to talk yourself into lunch. You're like, nah, I'm hungry. Lunchtime. Boom. You never have to talk yourself out of what you love. You you never have to talk yourself into rather what you love because you love it. So if you love him, you'll serve him. If you don't love him, you'll serve you. It's very simple. It's not complicated. When DK said to me, he said, oh, let's do a podcast. I go, that's great. I said, I just want to tell you one thing, Mr. DK. The only thing I want to tell you, which I don't have to tell him very much, which is very beautiful. And I said, this was your idea. So you can't come to me and say, oh, this is too much, this and that. I said, you started this, not me. So if, here's the thing. If I start it, I got to keep it going. Which is a lot of work to keep 4,000 things going. It's like, <laughs> you know, you really lose your mind. Uh, so it's always encouraging when God puts a desire within someone to do something for him. But what is more important even than that desire to do something for him is to get well. We were just, I was just in Asifi talking to my friend Nick. The same conversation comes up in two cities. 
How many of our contemporaries or people that we started in the ministry with 10 and 12 years ago are not here? And I don't, I'm not talking about saying that in a prideful way, like, oh, we're still here. No, 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 I'm not, I don't mean like that. I mean, man, that's really sad. 95% of people who start out as pastors do not retire as pastors. They have a higher kill rate than Navy SEALs. 95%. And that doesn't, even, that doesn't even say they were faithful to the Lord, they were faithful to their wife. That just means they started and finished what they started. That doesn't even say they were faithful. So the kill rate is really, you know, so if you want to last, you have to, you have to position yourself to last. And here's, what, well, well, here's how we will not last. If we don't get well, we won't last. Let me, let me tell you something about the nature of good people, lo loving people, selfless people. Many times they neglect themselves. They, 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 they don't take care of themselves. They take care of other people. That's a blind spot that good people have. Now, nasty people, they're always focused on themselves. They're like, you know, like my wife, I don't have to ask her to help. I have to tell her to chill out. I don't have to ask her to help because that's in her. I have to tell her chill out, relax, don't do anything. I'll order dinner. Yeah, and she's not here. So the, the thing with that is that it's very easy to just wear yourself out and wear yourself down. But you are important. I really want you to hear that today, but not in like a psychological, oh, you're important, you matter. I mean, like to God, you really matter and you are actually really important. And God wants to, he wants you to fulfill the number of your days. God wants you to fulfill the assignment that he's given you, but God wants to satisfy you with long life and longevity. That's very important. I, I'm not into fast. I'm into long. Long. All right. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let me talk to you about the paths of righteousness just for a minute. For Nehemiah, the path of righteousness was being the king's cupbearer. Do you remember that? Yep. So he drank wine to test himself, like to test the king's wine so the king didn't die. Imagine your whole job is, I'm going to make sure you don't get poisoned. It's like, so that's a very selfless job. Nehemiah is basically offering up himself. It's like for a heathen pagan king that took his people captive. You want to talk about dying to self? Imagine working for the oppressor and being willing to lay down your life for the oppressor because you're that free on the inside. Because you're not a victim of your circumstances. Because you're kingdom. Let me tell you a story. I got a story. This is a crazy story. So my friend Brom, this is the funniest guy. He's a huge, big, fat guy. He makes me look skinny and small. He's a humongous guy. And his, he's hilarious. He's one of the most funny off-the-chain people, no fear. He's a Dutchman. He has a very dry sense of humor. He's absolutely crazy, and he's huge. And he rips, like, telephone books. Like, he's just someone that, you know, I don't recommend you swinging at him. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it's like they make guns for people like that. So, so he's the funniest, most loving guy who has no fear. 
So he lives in Brazil. He's married to a Brazilian, little Brazilian. And he's this big, huge guy. And he laughs at everything. He's never serious. He's always playing. He's the funnest guy to be around. Him and I were in Cuba together. And we have stories. And uh, so anyway, so these drug dealers come and they steal his tractor. He lives in, in, in Brazil. So he has this John Deere tractor for his land. And so these drug dealers come. And in the middle of the night, they steal the tractor. So he knows that they did it. That's what he does. So the next day, he shows up to the drug dealer's house. He goes, listen, I want to help you out. And they go, what? Are you, what, are you, what? And because this is the type of person, like, he shows up at your house. You're like, all right, like, like what is, like, why are you here, actually? Like, he's like, you know. And he goes, oh, you forgot the key. He goes, this thing doesn't really run good without a key. So he gives the drug dealer the key, smiles at him, and leaves. <laughs> so guess what happens the next day? The next day, the tractor is back in his yard. <laughs> so anyway, that was a free story. But that was the right thing to do in that situation. But only God could have showed him that. You know what that showed? That he was free. Amen. So anyway. So the path of righteousness, God will lead you to do the right thing if you allow him to lead you. So the right thing for some of us is apology. I was wrong. Forgive me. Or you know what? I forgive you. Or whatever it is. But, but God will lead you if you let him. If you allow him, he will actually lead you in the path of righteousness. So now for Nehemiah, the right thing to do was being a cupbearer for the king. Do you remember that? And because he was faithful and he had emotional stability, he wasn't up and down like a roller coaster. The first day that he gets sad, the king goes, why are you sad? And he goes, well, the people... The land, the city, the gate, like, that's why I'm sad. So the king goes, what do you want me to do? So instead of answering right away, Nehemiah prays, and he receives favor, and then the king pays for the, the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. That's like a crack dealer buying you teeth. This guy is the guy that took Israel out of their, like, like he, is, he is part of the reason they are in bondage, and he is now paying for the wall. Wow. Wow. Amen. Do you see that? Okay. But for John the Baptist, John the Baptist was great in the sight of the Lord because he did not drink wine. So what is it? It's not about wine. The Bible is clear. Don't be drunk on wine. But God will lead you in the right path that is right for you. Now, it's not right for anyone to be intoxicated, and that's clear. But what I'm saying is the paths of righteousness are different for each and every one of us because each and every one of us has a different journey. And so what you need to focus on now is what is the next decision that I need to make right now based on who God is, what God has said, and where I am. Don't focus and don't worry about tomorrow. Today, what does God want to speak to you today? What does God want to align in you today? What does God want to show you today? What is the choice? What is the next right decision right in front of you? What is the, you know, if you have navigation in your car, it tells you the next turn. What is the next turn for you? 
I don't know your turn. I can't, I can't presume that I know your turn. But you have to ask God to show you. What is the next turn? What is the next step? And he will be with you in it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He actually was in the valley of the shadow of death, but he determined that he would not fear no evil. Do not be afraid. This is the only thing that David is saying or doing in this whole entire psalm. I will fear no evil. You have to say that to yourself, and you have to mean that. And you have to pray that, God, deliver me from evil, and deliver me from the fear of evil. Because what fear will do is fear will shut you down and hold you hostage. And most of the things we're afraid of are not even real. Most of the time, it's a lie in your mind that it's not even real. People, people move, they go away, move away, run away, leave houses, jobs, businesses, marriages because of something in their head. It's not even real. That's how the enemy is a liar. He's lying to you. You believe it. And then he's the one who's leading you and directing you. Now you're being led by a lie instead of walking in truth and being led by love. You're being manipulated by lies. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated by lies. We live in a culture that is pervasive with fear and perversion. Why fear and why perversion? Those are the two longings of the human heart, to be loved and to be secure. So what does the enemy work at? Lust and insecurity. To try to distract us, distort us, and move us from the place that God called us to be. All right. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this is really something because who in the world finds comfort, maybe Brett, in a rod? You know what a rod is for? Protection. You know what a staff is for? Correction. When you're a friend of God, you find comfort in the uncomfortable. You find comfort in the dealing of God, in the discipline of God, in the protection of God. God will take that shepherd rod and he will bang that wolf and say, you cannot be here. Like, if you're going to stay in this church, you're going to love people. You're not going to talk bad about people. You're not going to speak evil of people. You're not going to cause division. If you want to speak like that, you're not welcome here. And every, that means everyone. Amen. If you're going to be here, you're going to love each other. We're going to respect each other. You're going to speak well of each other. If not, you're not welcome. You're welcome on the condition of love. That this is going to be a place of love and healing and peace. So the shepherd has a rod to poke wolves. No, no, no. You cannot hurt these sheep. You cannot hurt people here. This is a place of healing. But the staff is, you know, the, the bow. Because they're sheep, we're crazy. Sheep will walk. You know how dumb sheep are? Sheep are so dumb, they have, first of all, their nose in their brother's rear end. So sheep always put their nose where it doesn't belong. <laughs> sheep are smelly, and they're not smart, and a sheep will walk right off a cliff. Isaiah said, we, all we are like sheep have gone astray. 
lost humanity, humanity outside of the, the, the Holy Spirit, we will just, we are prone to drift. And if you don't stand firm against the drift, you'll drift. And if you think, oh, I can't drift, I'm deep. No, 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 you'll drift too. Paul himself said, well, lest I myself be a castaway. So the presumption of, oh, I'm good and I don't drift because I'm the deacon, the pastor, the elder, the prophet, whoever you are or think you are. No, no, no. We have to be cautious because all of us can drift. So now the staff is to pull Mr. Sheepy back. Come on. Come on back. Don't, don't walk off a cliff. That's not a good idea. And that's the mercy of God. What's fascinating is that David is a shepherd, but he also has a shepherd. And David is a person, but he also knows that he has sheep-like tendencies. It's like One of the things that happens is when you spend time in the presence of God, you become aware of your shortcomings. You become aware of the things in your life that you need to deal with and not ignore. All of us. I'm not saying that at anyone. I'm saying that to everyone. We have to become aware. Isaiah, he sees the Lord. Isaiah goes, man, I'm a man of unclean lips. Why? When you have an encounter with Jesus, there is a revelation of self-awareness that comes on you. No self-examination, no self-awareness. We have to come to the communion table in the fear of the Lord, appreciating God's mercy and saying, no, this is important. Let me confess. Let me, let me repent. Let me thank God for the opportunity to acknowledge that I'm wrong and thank him for the opportunity to make it right. One of, one of my conversations recently with Brett is that he was like, I, I want, I'm thankful to God that God will shine a light on something wrong so that I have the power to make it right. Amen. I'm paraphrasing him, but that's what he was saying. And that's important instead of people like, oh, man, instead of feeling like, oh, I get exposed. No, you, you can't get healed if it's not exposed. Like, for example, if I go to a hospital, I'm going to the hospital, and that's predicated on trust. Whether I acknowledge it, whether I believe it, whether I want to acknowledge it, whether I accept it, whether I don't accept it, whether I'm in, you know, lying about it, you're going there in a place of vulnerability saying, hey, I'm sick, I'm not well, that's why I'm here. Jesus said, I didn't come for the, for, for, for the righteous, I came to call sinners to repentance. So the presupposition in all of our lives is we need God's help. Me too, you too, us too, we. We need God's help. But, but that has to become real. That can't be vague. It has to become specific about the dysfunctions and the habits and the reflexes and the responses and the reactions or the overreactions or the underreaction because trauma causes you to underreact and overreact. Trauma can make you so numb that you don't even react. You're just like, whatever. All you got to say is, it is what it is. When I hear you say it is what it is, I know that you've been through some hell. And you're from New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut. <laughs> anyway, okay. I will fear no evil for why. You are with me. So the, since the Lord is leading me, I'm not going to lack. So our life has to be shaped by who we're with. Not what we have, not where we live, not where we drive. Who we're with. Who we're with. 
You follow me? Who we're with. Since he is my leader, he is my Lord, I will not lack. Since he is with me, I will not fear. In light of, that, of who he is and the fact that he is with me, that determines how I'm going to feel. How I'm going to choose. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Finding comfort in the correction and in the protection of God. The friends of God find comfort in things that are uncomfortable because those are the things that are producing growth. Why? How can you sit at a table with your enemies if you can't even receive correction from your father? How can you, how can you walk in favor if you can't even handle correction? We know that people who, who abuse power can't handle correction, and I know if you can't handle correction, you will abuse power. So anyway, one of the things that God does through discipline and correction and say, no, you're wrong, is he prepares you to be prepared for your enemies. Why? Because there are people that are working against what God is trying to work in your life. There are people that will work against your peace. There are, and the battle that we fight is, 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 is spiritual. It's not against flesh and blood. Amen. That's why the person that says, I hate you, I'm leaving this marriage. Well, that's okay, but guess who you're stuck with? Half of the reason why the marriage isn't good. Yeah, right? So, so now, so now that, that's, that's the issue that difficult, the most, the greatest difficulty that we face is us. It's easy to say, oh, it's him, her, mom, dad, them. Okay, but you're not going to have to give an account for what they did. You're only going to have to give an account for what you did. So my best advice is to forgive them and move on. Now, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, I want to talk to you about, this is powerful. David said, you anoint my head with oil. But you know that if you read the biblical narrative, that God did not anoint David. Samuel did. But Samuel's obedience put Jesus on display. Yep, that's the point. The point is, our obedience is to put Jesus on display. This is not about us. This is not about me. This is not about you. This is about him. You anoint my head with oil. Now, shepherds would anoint sheep. I don't know if you, if you know this, but sheep, the heads of sheep would be anointed. There's two reasons why sheep would be anointed. One, it keeps bugs out of their ear. So the anointing causes you to be very careful who and what you listen to. Now, everyone can speak to you, but that doesn't mean you're listening. Or I hear you doesn't mean I agree with you. Or I can acknowledge you, but that doesn't mean what you're saying means something to me at that level. I have to be the one to determine what I'm going to do with the information I've been given. And so do you. You cannot let someone else determine how you're going to respond. That's manipulation. That's not healthy. 
And some people don't like me because they can't manipulate me because I don't function on guilt and I don't feel bad for you or me or anyone. So therefore, I'm not going to do what it is people want. I'm going to do what the Lord wants, even if it's not easy. Sometimes if I'm not going to live to please me, what makes you think that I'm going to live to please you? I mean, you got to really think about that, right? So anyway, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. So one of the reasons that sheep uh, are anointed is so that the, the, the voices stop. Stop listening to voices of destruction. Stop. The second reason is that when the sheep's head is anointed, sheep are crazy. I told you that. And... Have you ever put yourself in a crazy situation? <laughs> Sometimes I hear people and I, and I go, I, I got to really think about this. I really don't know what to say to you. Like, I, I really honestly have no idea what to say or what to do. I, I love you. I, I want to cry with you, but I, I don't really know what, even, what you should do. I honestly don't even know. Well, the anointing oil on the head of a sheep is what allows a sheep to wiggle out of a thicket. So the anointing will keep you, watch this, from unnecessary situations, listen to me, and the anointing will help you to get out of a situation that you may find yourself in. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv invite.